0: Many years ago, in late fall during a rainstorm, a cold night in Grand Junction, Colorado, there were two young people, young students, taking a walk off campus. This couple was not prepared for the rain, and so they sought shelter at the nearest building they could find. It was a Catholic church. During that time, the church remained unlocked most of the day and evening. The young man was not Catholic, not baptized, while the young woman was a cradle Catholic. This was not a planned visit to this church, but any stretch of the imagination. Coming into the front entrance of the church, the first thing that the young man noticed was that there were no lights on, but several candles illuminated the inside of the church. And he noticed one candle bigger and brighter than the rest. It was the red lamp near the tabernacle burning brightly in the darkened church. For the young man who grew up with anti-Catholic sentiments this was something that he had never experienced before, being in a Catholic church. Being raised Pentecostal years ago, they would have referred to him as a holy roller. He never had a desire or temptation to be in the Catholic church, let alone become a Catholic. He knew that Catholics were more or less pagans and needed to be converted. If you haven't figured out by now, I am that young man, and Nancy, my wife, was that young woman in this story. I can still remember the warmth of the church, warming up from the cold out of the rain, but I also remember an interior warmth that I had never experienced before. I still can't describe it fully, but it was more than a feeling. Looking back, I was beginning to experience the mystery of the Lord's Eucharistic presence in the church. This would be the beginning of my journey from darkness to light from the realization that I was pagan, an unbaptized person. It wasn't Nancy who needed to be converted from what I thought was pagan worship and practices. No, it was I who needed conversion, baptism, and the fullness of the truth. That journey would take another four years before I would be baptized and receive the Eucharist for the first time. As Father Pete preached last weekend, we will be sharing with our With you, our encounter and love of the Eucharist these Sundays of Lent. And like Father Pete, part of my attraction to the Catholic faith was intellectual. And for me, I too found it in a college course. The class that I first remembered was a Western Civilization course, which spent a fair amount of time on the Protestant Reformation. Not being a student of world history, I found myself wanting to know more of history with an emphasis on Christianity. In that Western Civilization class, I learned there was much more to the Protestant Reformation than Martin Luther posting his 95 Theses in Wittenberg. With all the intrigue of politics, princes, and dukes in the German territories, which ultimately led to violence and bloodshed in the Peasants' Revolt. It seemed to me Martin Luther had started more of a revolution than a Reformation. Yet this historical awakening that I was experiencing was only part of my conversion to Catholicism. As I shared earlier with the story of seeking shelter in a Catholic church, it was the beauty and mystery of the Catholic faith that was tempting me to look seriously at converting. While I was working for the railroad, I was required to travel to St. Paul, Minnesota for an entire month of training. At this time, I was taking instruction from a priest in Nebraska on my journey to become Catholic. I remember distinctly walking into a Catholic cathedral in St. Paul. I had never seen a church that big. It was as if I was being bombarded by particles of faith, mystery, and beauty from all directions. Truth in the form of light was streaming into that Catholic cathedral through plate glass windows directly into my heart. At that moment, I knew that the cathedral was not a product of pagan worship and practices. I was convinced that I was making the right decision on converting to Catholicism. It's still hard for me to put into words, but a big part of my conversion had to do with being open to the mystery of Christ's presence. In that mysterious experience of Christ's real presence in Grand Junction would be the beginning of my journey from darkness to light. At that time, I knew nothing of the sacraments, yet I experienced an encounter with Jesus that went well beyond what I read in my King James Bible. I started to learn that it was the Eucharist that was the center of the early church and its liturgical celebrations. I began to read the Gospel of John in chapter six, the Bread of Life Discourse, in a Eucharistic way and not in a symbolic way. When Jesus said in verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. I began to believe that Jesus meant exactly what he said and that he was speaking about his Eucharistic presence. I was also beginning to hunger for the Eucharist, longing for the day of my baptism and receiving the Eucharist for the first time. I can distinctly remember those months leading up to my baptism and receiving my first Holy Communion, Sunday after Sunday as I knelt in the pew, I would watch Nancy go up and receive the Eucharist. I continue to pray to have that same longing for the Eucharist in my life today. The transfiguration of Jesus in the gospel this Sunday is situated after Jesus's first prediction of his passion and death and his instructions to the disciple that in order to follow him, they will have to take up their crosses. Jesus led Peter, James, and John up a high mountain where they witnessed his transfiguration. They see Jesus in his divinity and his glory so that they would be better prepared to face his impending passion, death, and resurrection. By showing to them his power and his glory at his transfiguration and instructing them later not to tell anyone what they had seen under his, until his resurrection, Christ is preparing Peter, James, and John for another high mountain, which is of the passion and crucifixion. Not only was Jesus in his transfiguration preparing Peter, James, and John for his passion, death, and resurrection, Jesus is also revealing to us today the close connection between his transfiguration and his resurrected body, which is present in the Eucharistic celebration the holy sacrifice of the Mass. At every Mass, we are witness to the power of the cross and the miracle of the resurrected Lord in the Eucharist. I mentioned earlier that as a catechumen preparing for baptism in the Eucharist, I had a longing deep in my heart to receive the Eucharist while I knelt in the pew at Mass. And my prayer for you is that you too have that longing in your heart for the Eucharist every day and every hour. One of the ways to keep that hunger for the Eucharist alive is to pray in an intentional way the Most Holy Rosary. Many of you already are doing that during this holy season of Lent. My humble recommendation is to pray the Luminous Mysteries on Thursdays. I know that there is a pious practice that during Lent to always pray the sorrowful mysteries. I would like to propose at least once a week to pray the Luminous Mysteries. Like all the mysteries of the Rosary, the Luminous Mysteries are Christocentric that is Christ-centered. And for Lent, praying the mysteries of light can help us focus on Christ, from his baptism, to the wedding at Cana, to the proclamation of the kingdom, to the transfiguration, and finally the institution of the Eucharist. Pope St. John Paul II said, the mystery of light par excellence is the transfiguration, and it's no coincidence that the following mystery is the institution of the Eucharist. May that close connection between Christ's transfiguration and his resurrected body be truly present to you in the Eucharist, his very body and blood, soul and divinity.